Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Build Value by Choice. I'm your host, Nana Bonsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. Today, we have an encore interview with Jason Pittman. Jason is a certified value builder. He's also the President and CEO of Exit Advisor. And he's also, um, he's, all, he's a business broker and he resides in the Chicago suburbs in the state of Illinois. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, Nana. Glad to be back. Awesome. Awesome. That was great. Uh, the last conversation that we talked about uh, manufacturing. And today we're actually going to try and dive into two of those kind of sub you know, sub uh, markets in that industry. Now they're huge. You know, we have metals and then we have food processing. And the reason for that was uh, and is that those two industries are big in the Illinois suburbs, the Chicago suburbs where you are. And, and so uh, we're glad to have you back to talk more about it. Today, we're going to be talking about, you know, just how business owners, what are some of the things that business owners should be focused on to prepare for various exit scenarios, whether it's internal exit or external exit. Um, Could you just kind of set the play for us, what the state of the union, so to speak, is in in the metals and the food processing industries? Sure. I think uh, what's unique about metal manufacturing and fabrication is that the trend is definitely growing compared to a lot. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, sort of home shoring of business that's gone overseas over the past few decades. There's a trend to bring some of that back. So when I see some of the data compiled by different brokers out there, uh, metal fabrication in particular is very uh, on the rise. It's growing uh, rapidly. And compared to many others versus, you know, like uh, food production still growing, uh, but not quite at the same rate. And, um, but uh, the metals, that's probably the uh, interesting thing is just the, the whole home shoring aspect of it. A lot of opportunities, especially here in the Chicago area, where uh, we're known for metal manufacturing, a lot of plants and uh, various types of metal production going on. So I think over the next decade, we're, we're going to see uh, an increase there. Yeah. And um, like, I mean, I think you talked about, you know, like, you know, stamping and milling and bending shops. Um, now, are they like, like the raw uh, metals or are they like uh, the, the processing of metals? So what kind of metal industry do you have in your area? Well, yeah, different types. It's mostly going to be the uh, the manipulation, so not necessarily the production of the metal itself, um, like uh, a refinery uh, setting might be what you're thinking of, um, but there might be some kind of uh, smelting uh, on a smaller scale of certain types of metal. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of these places, a lot of machine shops, they have other clients that are producing something and they'll do added value uh, services, bending, grinding, cutting, depending on you know, what they're uh, outfitted for. Okay. So uh, I want to quote from the 2021 New York City uh, Exit Planning you know, chapter of the Exit Planning Institute. Uh, they put out the uh, State of Owners Readiness Survey report and specifically around the exit options. And in that, in that uh, report, they quoted that most owners, about 41% of owners uh, said they prefer a family transition. Uh, 19% said they were looking toward a 
uh, ESOP or em- em- employee stock ownership. Uh, 14% were leaning toward a, a management buyout and 7% um, wanted to be bought out by their partners. And only 10% wanted to sell to an external partner like a strategic buyer or private equity. What does what what does the uh, you know metals and food you know, industry look you know, like? What are, what's their preference in terms of when it comes to these exit options? I think there might be uh, some other variables, in specifically the size of the company, that might mm-hmm. impact that. Um, I would think since I tend to deal with companies that are going to be under twenty million in revenue most of the time, so on the smaller scale, a lot of owner operated businesses, I would agree that probably a lot of them want to keep the business in the family, have their kids or somebody else take over. Um, And that's usually the case if there's already multiple family members working in the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the the, the preference might be there because they realize how much work is going to be required to have someone take that over if multiple family members are leaving at the same time. Now, if it's a situation where the family is willing to stick around and there's not a clear successor in place that wants to really take over, um, in my experience, these smaller businesses prefer to sell to an outside buyer. And that's probably for a couple of reasons. Um, One is they need the windfall from the sale to fund their retirement. And two, it's a, a personality preference. You know, they they want to sell their business and uh, you know, it's, it's been their goal the whole time. Um, so it's a, it's a status thing, you know, it's, you know, be able to start a business, run it, build it, and then sell it and uh, for a nice retirement. Now um, the, I wanted to like, is there a difference? I don't know if uh, there's a difference between the food processing, and the food and beverage industries, like, you know, the, the restaurants and, and stuff like that versus like the craft foods that actually make the foods. What, what is the, uh, the nuanced difference between those two areas of, of food? Yeah, I think um, when you are more on the wholesale, the food production side, you're probably going to have lower margins because you're supplying uh, large retail chains. Um, so real estate's gonna be a big concern. There's a lot of people in food production, one of the first problems they run into is they run out of space to put stuff. Um, I had a client that made cakes wholesale for different uh, retail chains. And their big pain point that they were dealing with uh, over the past year was increasing their footprint so they could produce larger batches, um, they were turning away business versus the smaller places that are going to be focused on uh, more finished products. Um, I'm thinking of uh, kind of the smaller meat market combined with a cafe. So there might be a couple components to it. There might be a, uh, where you can go in and take ready made meals home. You might be able to eat a sandwich right there or you can go in there for you know, hand-trimmed meats. What's nice about these uh, businesses, they tend to have higher margins and you know, they're not gonna have as much revenue, but an owner operator can make a very nice living off of one of these. And they have the added benefit because they don't have much competition the size of business. They're perfectly positioned to go out and find a few wholesale clients. So for example, um, 
a chain of pizzerias would be a perfect wholesale client for independently operated uh, butcher shop uh, because they've got the retail component of the business and then they've also got the ability to uh, do some local wholesale business. Great. So I wanted to, uh, I want to set the stage for the next uh, piece of uh, discussion, uh, specifically around three main uh, you know, areas of concern for a lot of business owners. And, and then you can tell us how business owners in, in the food and, and metal industries are handling this. One is inflation. The second is supply chain. And I believe we talked about it the last time too. And then the third is the labor related issues, whether it's the shortage or whether it's the quality. Um, and um, just a couple of things that I wanted to just a couple of data that I wanted to kind of share just for the purpose of our listener and our audience. Um, inflation is up about 14% in, the, in Q3, 9% year over date. And uh, that's what the president of um, Tyson Foods, for instance, um, sh- you know, shared. Um, we have um, small business confidence is you know, near an all, all-time low, according to a, a recently released CNBC moment and the Momentive um, Small Business Survey for Q4 2021. Um, we have concern in that report. It talked about concerns about inflation and supply chain continue to rise among American small businesses, and you know that you know even though there's strong uh, consumer demand and GDP, uh, is still being outweighed by prices. Uh, their con- business owner concerns among, um, uh, about labor shortage you know, remains quite high. Um, 75% of business owners say that they experienced higher supply costs, which is up from 70% in the Q- uh, Q3 of this year. Uh, 58% are experiencing supply chain disruptions, and that's also up from 55%. Inflation tops the, uh, the list of concerns for small business owners. Um, and then he's, you know, it's followed by supply chain disruptions and then COVID. Uh, this is recently released, uh, you know, a survey that was conducted in, uh, in November. Um, so how are, you know, the owners in those two industries handling inflation, supply chain disruptions, and their labor issues? Yeah, I think, to be honest, there's probably a lot of luck right now because everybody's trying to do the same thing. Everybody's trying to deal with a labor shortage. Everybody's trying to hire. And I think the smartest way that most industries are dealing with this is by establishing relationships with uh, schools. And they're trying to get their name in front of the students while they are working on attaining their licenses and certifications. So by the time they're ready to come out, enter the workforce, you need to be there um, already raising awareness with them, um, hopefully before they've completed their certifications. And I think that applies to just about every industry. That's what I'm hearing, how the more uh, active business owners are dealing with that is they're proactively getting out ahead of that, being involved in uh, community colleges and high schools and trade schools. So that's uh, for the uh, labor shortage. Uh, in terms of inflation, um, that's a good question. I can't say I've observed anything myself specifically to inflation unless it is to stockpile where you can because you're worried that the dollar is going to buy less you know, next quarter than this quarter. If, you're, if there's something you can buy uh, and get a deal on it right now, knowing that it's not going to spoil and that you can 
that you, you know you're going to use it. It's not just going to be inventory on a shelf. Um, I think that's probably how uh, they're dealing with it right now because most small business owners, they don't have much control over these things. Um, so they really just got to focus on what they can do. Um, so some of them are probably tightening their belts a little bit. I know of some operators where they've gotten rid of um, an administrative assistant, you know, and trying to just spread out some of the uh, more entry-level tasks and things to existing employees. Uh, but they, they do uh, what they how can. Is, uh, how, is sales in, uh, how is sales looking uh, and the margins looking in those two industries? Well, it's probably going to depend, um, you know, because metal manufacturing, there can be so many um, aspects of that, whether it's stamping or just fabrication, but most of them have anywhere from a 30 to a 60% uh, cost of goods. So they're going to have probably um, 40% um, margin to go towards their expenses. Okay. All right, um, so that's that's healthy. That's not bad. <laughs> um, so food production, um, uh, I, I don't know offhand if it's. Um, I, I would say food production. It might actually be a little bit higher, um, mm. but I don't have those kind of stats in front of me right now. Okay, what about government regulations? Because right now, I mean, you know, one of the things, one of the concerns that are owners in mm. the National Federal Bureau of uh, Independent Businesses, the concerns they've expressed is, you know. We can't continue to and attack on increased government regulations and increased taxes if we're having labor issues and inflation and supply chain disruptions. Uh, how what is it, what's the sentiment among the owners in the metal and food processing industries uh, when it comes to government regulations and taxes? Yeah, I think that the big things we saw last year were um, the executive order that Biden signed uh, when he came in, you know, closing loopholes and the whole Buy American provisions. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was going to stimulate things in one area. Um, I, think, I know there was over 300 manufacturing firms that um, lobbied uh, Biden to end uh, Section 232 of the, the steel and aluminum tariffs um, that were started a few years ago. So these are a couple of things where I know there's been a lot of pressure on the legislative side or the executive side to uh, take some pressure off of things, create some some new opportunities and then um i don't know necessarily if this ties into legislation but one of the more recent things that have been brought up in manufacturing sectors is with with all the increasing automation that it's opening people up to uh cybersecurity attacks so this is a uh, top of mind with a lot of folks in manufacturing um is just the vulnerability to cybersecurity which creates an opportunity for the it and um, so those are kind of three things that come to mind there. What is keeping owners in those two industries from having success, you know, if at all? And you know, just some of your frustrations and some of your regrets. Hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times uh, it's the owner's inability to let go and delegate certain items. Um, particularly with the, the smaller businesses, oftentimes the owner is the main or only salesperson in the company. And the regret is they didn't create a sales team. Um, you know, they have a production team and a customer service team, essentially. But oftentimes the owner of these smaller companies 
are the salesperson and they've kind of built the company around them. Um, that's probably uh, one of the things that hold them back or their regrets is not putting some more uh, processes in place. So typically, when did, they, when did they come to you? How did they come to find out that they need your services? You know, can you just kind of walk us through just the journey, their journey, their mindset shift, just what motivates them to come to you? And by the time they come to you, is it too late? Is it about the right? No, and, and what's the length of time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say half of them come to me when they realize I need to sell, which is unfortunate because ideally they would have a conversation with me uh, two or three years before they're ready to sell. That way I can uh, give them some thoughts on how to prepare their business specific to their business and Mm -hmm. let them know what the low-hanging fruit is and what are the things that might take a couple of years uh, to implement. So a lot of them, they, they come to me, uh, cause they've already made up their mind and it's usually some pressing reason. Maybe they're ill. Um, you know, a loved one has passed away. Something in their personal life has created a need for them to sell the business or they're burnt out. And just one day they realize, okay, it's, you know, I've lost a few employees over the last couple of years. My sales have diminished and I just don't have the energy to, you know, grow things back. So burnout and just personal reasons, things come up and they, they need to sell. And then the, I would say the other half are the people that are starting to think about it. You know, they, they, they realize they need to sell at some point or they're not sure if they even want to sell. Uh, and they just want to get an idea of, what are their options? What is my business worth right now if I were to try to sell it? And uh, could I sell it? Um, some business owners realize they might not have a sellable business. Um, so that's the ideal situation. If you can talk to someone three years ahead, even one year, you can make some changes to the business that will uh, make it more attractive, increase the value, uh, just clean things up. And uh, kind of like if you're going to sell a house, you want to clean things out and get it ready so it shows well and people understand what they're getting. Now, in terms of where they get the information from, will that be at like, you know, the uh, specific industry conferences? And do you think those conferences uh, and venues are doing enough to educate them about, you know, why they need to start thinking about these things ahead of time? Um, I would say there are some organizations that are probably doing it um, focused on exit planning, but I think it's something that uh, should be talked about a lot more, uh, specifically for the reasons of um, sellability. So a lot of people are planning for years um, on their future, and all they've really done is placed an arbitrary number on what they think their business is worth, right? So if they're your business owner and you're talking to your financial advisor and you realize you've got a $2 million net worth when you add up all your assets, <clears throat> a lot of times those business owners have the bulk of their net worth tied up in the equity of the company. So they have a number on the company, but they don't have a real idea of if it's even sellable. So there's a lot of people out there that are in a very risky situation where they think they have a company that's worth X, 
But unless they make some changes, it's probably not going to be worth that because they're going to have to fire sale it uh, for someone else to come in and take over. Um, so industry organizations are going to be a great place for business owners to learn about their business. And what they're more likely to learn in those organizations is what their peers went through. They're going to learn from fellow entrepreneurs. Well, this is what I did when I met with an exit planner. This is what I did when I sold my last company. Um, I think more of those organizations should be providing exit planning, exit planning training. Um, just because, you know, like I said, a lot of these guys are going through their life. They know they want to sell at some point so they can fund their retirement, but they're really not focused on, is this business sellable? They're just operating off an arbitrary number that's been given to them. Yeah. I mean, and, and I can't remember exactly, um, where, where, I, you know, I, I got this from somewhere, but I don't know if it was Devin or someplace where, you know, it may have been a good to great um, author, you know, Jim Collins. So I got this from where mm. you understand studying the success of somebody, right. Without understanding, you know, understanding what the drivers were for their success is, could be a recipe for disaster, right? Cause even if mm. there is somebody, there's a company in your industry, that you learn about in any conference because you know you can look at an industry book and they can give you the prices of companies, but you may not have some of the same, you know, things that they the that company had to be able to sell at a higher multiple. So you can't necessarily say that you know Jim's company sold for X and therefore mine is and I have I think uh, you know mine you know I, I get more sales than Jim's company, therefore mine is probably going to be about that much higher than, than gyms. That's right? exactly it. That's, that's pretty much the premise. Most of them are operating off. Like, well, my buddy got five times for his company. I'll be damned if I'm going to get anything less. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's certainly, so what is the opportunity there then do you see in terms of, uh, helping owners, um, just, change your mindset. Right now, it's not even about improving. It's about giving them an opportunity shift, right? To say, look, um, number one is your time horizon, right? You know, it's, uh, you have to, you want to think like five to, I know you said three, but probably five to seven years out. Yeah. The more, the better, in my opinion. Right. Right. Because I, for instance, how long does it typically take to go through the whole exit process? Well, um, a year. A year, okay. So it takes a year to go through that, and so, so, um, and then you know, probably like for them to put in place the kind of um, things that need the kind of implementation that need to be done for them to get the value that if they had come to you and because when you do the valuation, you find out hey, maybe if you can you know beef up this this in this area of your business, you could double your value. You probably need exactly. at least three years, right? Maybe maybe three years to probably. Yeah, if you're going to double the value, but right. yeah, assuming they've got the right pieces in place and they're already in a position to scale, yeah, right. So that that basically, the point I'm getting at is that's like four years. I'm kind of trying to back out. So it takes a year to go through it. You need about three years because because the first year you're probably going to be putting together the the foundation, right? And then the following year is just you start to kind of see the benefit. And then you needed like a third year to really kind of kind of let it pop. So that's four years. So probably, you know, you need to start thinking about like four years out, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if, for example, um, there's some things that could be implemented quickly. So 
the most common low-hanging fruit is have a conversation with your accountant. Most mm -hmm. business owners are in the mode of accounting to minimize their taxable income. Mm -hmm. But when you are preparing to sell your business, you need to do things differently. You should be very frank with your accountant. Say, look, I want to sell my business in a few years. What changes should we start making now uh, so I can increase the value? Realizing you might have to pay a little bit more in taxes, but it's important to show profit. And most small business owners are hiding their profit in the form of discretionary and personal expenses. You know, they're paying for vacation homes and personal cars and just benefits to them personally. If you have too many of these things on your books, it's hard to justify to a buyer, hard to their lender. So just having the conversation with your accountant saying, look, I want to sell soon. I need to stop writing off so much stuff. What other accounting changes should I make so we can gear up for maximizing value versus reducing taxes? That right there, just uh, doing, just making some changes off your most recent year's tax returns will be worth its weight in gold. And that's something people can do today before they file their tax returns for 2021. Maybe we shouldn't write off 15,000 in personal automobile. Maybe we shouldn't write off 10,000 in travel. Let's put that 25,000 in profit because that 25,000 in profit might be worth, you know, three to five times in asking price when we go on the market. And I imagine that, you know, but sometimes that probably is going to be like a stick a shock. I mean, like a bit of a shock to, to their system because they probably have come to depend on some of these expense write-offs for a long period of time. And so um, right. this is where the whole uh, lifestyle shift you know, can come into play. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, nobody wants to pay taxes, but you know, this, when you know you're going to sell your company soon, that's the right time to start paying more in taxes because that means you're showing more in profit. And that's a good thing. Right. You, show, you want to prove people that you have a profitable company because that's what they're buying. You know, they're not buying the assets and the logos and the cool fleet of trucks. They're buying the future stream of profits. Yeah. Now, one thing that, um, you know, what if, because, I mean, I think it just popped up one, you know, something. What if the accountant is not, doesn't have the, the skill set to be able to pinpoint, because, um, you know, whether it's the accountant or the financial advisor, right? So you had mentioned earlier the financial advisor, the, the, the business, uh, they go to your financial advisor and they get some number that this is how mm -hmm. much you need to either retire or, or right. transition to the next phase of your life. Mm -hmm. And the business, and they do some you know, valuation for the business. Um, they may or may not do a valuation for the business. Let's just say do valuation for the business. How come the, the, do you think it's incumbent on the accountant or the financial advisor to um, help either alert the business owner to talk to somebody who helps owners increase their business value? And is, is there some kind of, um, you know, because at, there's an opportunity that I guess this is where, you know, some partnership may come into play, but mm -hmm. if they don't have that kind of partnership, then maybe that's where, you know, maybe should valid builders and exit planning advisors be reaching out more and more and, and partner with some of these business owners. I mean, whether it's business owners or accountants or financial advisors, to alert them to their services so that they, uh, they can, whenever that opportunity comes, 
they hear from an owner who wants to, because a lot of times those two people would probably be the first people that the owner goes to, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Accountant's probably going to be the most trusted person for most business owners. Yeah. But and so, so two things, one is that the accountant may just be only focused on just doing bookkeeping and, and taxes, right? They may not have this, that, that kind of skill set, or, or they may not just have that big picture perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes it may be up to the business owner to also seek out somebody who can help them you know, increase the value of their business. But do you see that sometimes business owners and entrepreneurs, um, they feel like they know their business and therefore they don't need an advisor or a coach? What is the hesitancy that I'm trying to kind of understand that a bit? Is there some kind of a psychological hangout probably or something there so because it's it's an emotional process it's a big decision i think there is some psychology there you know, i've heard people refer to it as the whole like the ostrich with their head in the sand you know it's something you know all of us do in some way or another we we don't like thinking about certain things and we put off big decisions sometimes and for some people the idea of selling their business is kind of a painful thing because for whatever the reason they don't know what they're going to do next or they don't really want to sell or they're just so trapped inside the day-to-day of the business it's hard for them to justify making time for anything mm-hmm. um i think that's some of it and then you know with the your comments on the accounting i would totally agree there's a lot of accountants out there they're focused on bookkeeping and tax preparation but just making it clear that you want to minimize the amount of personal um, expenses is going to be a big, uh, a big shift into preparing your business for sale. But if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're getting some pushback from the accountant, or you can tell the accountant doesn't have experience with that sort of thing, that's where, you know, a, a specialty CPA or a fractional CFO might be able to help out. doesn't need, mean you need to get rid of your bookkeeper, but so, for example, I have a client right now. He's got an accountant, and the accountant is just the straight tax preparer, bookkeeper, doesn't really know much about exit planning or evaluation. But there we sought out a specific CPA who will go back and look at the last few years of returns as well and identify things that could potentially be done ahead of time to just help the sale and minimize um, the amount of taxes you'll have to pay uh, at sale, things like that. So if you feel like your accountant doesn't have that experience, is more of a traditional tax preparer, um, maybe just start by asking them if they have a fractional CFO or some kind of specialist that um, could give some advice on preparing uh, for sale. Yeah, so just just for the sake of some people who may not be familiar with the term fractional CFO, that's the like a part-time chief financial officer, right? Right. Right. Yeah, someone... Yeah, CFO, but um, you know they're going to be a CPA uh, and have an accounting background, and they'll be able to do a little bit more sophisticated analysis um, of uh, your financials as well as help you figure out maybe what your profit margins really are. There's a lot of business owners out there that don't really know which products and services of theirs are profitable or not, uh, just because they don't do a great job of uh, measuring all that. So there are specialists out there that can. You know, take a, a deep dive and help you identify those areas that you should be working on. Yeah. Last question. Um, now, I, I mean, actually, it, it was just, do you think, because sometimes 
it's almost like a sports star, you know, no, not thinking some sports, I don't think they even need a coach, right? Uh-huh. Or they need an advisor. How, can you help uh, us uh, explain to us why, um, you know, owners and CEOs who don't think they need an advisor or they need a coach, why they may be mistaken if, if, if they don't kind of uh, make themselves amenable to that idea before it's too late, before like it's time to sell and they find, they find out, hey, um, you know, you don't, you know, your company is not worth as much as you think it is, despite all the quote unquote data that you think you have in the industry. You don't know what you don't know. So there's a lot of small business owners that, um, they're, they're do it yourself types. You know, they, they learn quickly. They're good at learning new things and they're just competent at getting a lot of things done. Maybe they're a jack of all trades. So I think that's a part of it where they, They've just gotten into a rhythm where they need something done. They just get it done. You know, they're those kind of people. They're the doers, but uh, they don't know what they don't know. And by the time they make the decision to sell their company, they've already missed that window to really prepare. And what's more important though, is remember when I said a lot of people contact me because something unexpected happened. You know, even if you don't think you're going to sell your company for 10 or 15 years, it's not a bad idea to be thinking about some of this and picking and choosing what you think uh, is worth adopting. Because what if something unexpected happens? You know, you, don't right. you want to have a sellable business? Um, yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's key. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for your time. I know uh, you've been generous with your time. Um, pleasure. Yeah. So certainly, uh, what are some of the key um, action items or takeaways that you know you know you and I advise our listeners to to kind of pursue after this podcast? Well, I think it really just boils down to education and getting the message out there. I think the most important thing business owners can do right now is have an open conversation with their accountants and their advisors. If you're thinking about selling in a few years, make it known so they can start advising you accordingly. Wonderful. Okay, great. So uh, once again, if people want to get in touch with you or follow your work, how can they do that? Well, I'm uh, on uh, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find there. Jason Pittman. You go to my website, uh, exit-advisor.com. And uh, those are the easiest ways to get hold of me. Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks again. And uh, for our audience, you can also um, follow us uh, on our website, www.infhorizons.com forward slash podcast. And uh, we'll talk again uh, next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.